Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a quick correction on that Yang story. Buttigieg and O'Rourke disagree on gun safety laws. Details on the MSNBC Climate Town Hall starting tomorrow. Carter reflects on age and the presidency. And another new national poll comes out and does not change the picture for October. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, a quick correction. Yesterday, I reported on Andrew Yang's fundraising bump in response to the announcement at the Thursday debate that he would give $1,000 a month to 10 families for one year. Well, here is the correction part. Now, I said that in total, that program added up to an expense of $1.2 million. That is off by a factor of 10. In fact, it adds up to $120,000, something that many of you who can do math pointed out to me. So the fact that Yang raised $1 million in the three days following the announcement is a substantially bigger deal given the smaller cost outlay here. I have put in a request to the head office for a calculator, and I'm waiting to see if that will be approved. All right, let's talk about gun safety laws, everybody's favorite topic. If you'll recall, in last week's debate, former Representative Beto O'Rourke talked about mandatory buybacks for assault weapons. He has proposed this before, and it's clear he definitely means it. So let's first listen to that clip from the debate. David Muir speaks first. Listen in. But I do want to come to Congressman O'Rourke because I know this is personal to you. El Paso is your hometown. Some on this stage have suggested a voluntary buyback for guns in this country. You've gone further. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield... If the high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Thank you. And I want to say this. I'm listening to the people of this country. The day after I proposed doing that, I went to a gun show in Conway, Arkansas, to meet with those who are selling AR-15s and AK-47s and those who are buying those weapons. And you might be surprised there was some common ground there. Folks who said, I would willingly give that up, cut it to pieces. I don't need this weapon to hunt, to defend myself. It is a weapon of war. So let's do the right thing, but let's bring everyone in America into the conversation, Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, and non-gun owners alike. Make a point? Congressman, thank you. Yeah, so that made waves for obvious reasons. Here's a candidate being super clear about what he would do. And yeah, there is a little common ground here, but this is still a very divisive issue. In fact, another Texas politician, State Representative Briscoe Kane, responded on Twitter. He wrote, quote, my AR is ready for you, Robert Francis, end quote. That was taken as a threat of violence. The O'Rourke campaign reported it as such to the FBI, and Twitter promptly deleted the tweet. 
At the time, O'Rourke wrote on Twitter, quote, This is a death threat, Representative. Clearly, you shouldn't own an AR-15, and neither should anyone else. End quote. Okay, so what we have here is a good example of the divide. But what does the polling say? Is O'Rourke at all correct that there is some common ground here on gun safety laws, specifically assault weapon buybacks? Well, reading from a piece in the Washington Post by Antonia Nori Farzan and Kayla Epstein, quote, The proposal has widespread support among Democrats nationally. 74% support a mandatory buyback program, compared with 31% of Republicans, a recent Washington Post slash ABC News poll found. End quote. Okay, so let's dig into the specifics from that poll. I'm concerned more here with overall numbers, not party-specific numbers, because I really think the most important question on this issue is what can American voters agree on? Not which things are most polarizing or which party likes which issues. So let's look at that poll, which for the following questions has a margin of error of plus or minus 3.5 percentage points. Here are some key numbers. 89% of people overall support mandatory background checks for potential gun buyers. 86% of people overall support so-called red flag laws, which would allow police to take away guns temporarily from people deemed to be a danger to themselves or others if a judge grants that order. 60% of people overall support a ban on high-capacity ammunition clips, meaning any clip that can hold more than 10 rounds. 56% of people overall support a ban on the sale of new assault weapons. Again, that is more than half supporting a ban on new sales, and that kind of links up with this next number. 52% of people overall support a mandatory buyback program for all assault weapons. Remember, the margin of error is plus or minus 3.5 percentage points. Okay, so if we take that poll to be an accurate measurement of what public sentiment is, then O'Rourke's buyback proposal is the very definition of divisive. He's got roughly half the people in the country agreeing with him. But within the same poll, there is clear evidence that the two items almost everybody can agree on are background checks and red flag laws. And things like banning high-capacity magazines are doing a little better than buybacks, but not by a whole lot. Another poll basically supports this conclusion on mandatory buybacks. A poll from NPR slash PBS NewsHour slash Marist had just under 50% supporting a mandatory buyback program for assault weapons, while the poll we just talked about put that number just above 50%. Given the margins, those numbers are basically the same. They're right around 50%. All right, so time for some more clips. This one is from CNN this past Sunday, and it comes from an interview with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Anchor Jake Tapper speaks first. Listen in. Uh, your fellow uh, 2020 candidate, Beto O'Rourke, raised some eyebrows by saying, quote, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47 at the debate. Uh, Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, who has endorsed uh, Biden, he responded by saying this, quote, that clip will be played for years at Second Amendment rallies with organizations that try to scare people by saying Democrats are coming for your guns. Do you agree? Did Beto O'Rourke say something that's playing into the hands of Republicans? Yes. Look, right now, We have an amazing moment on our hands. We have agreement among the American people for not just universal background checks, but we have a majority in favor of red flag laws, uh, high-capacity magazines, uh, banning the new sale of assault weapons. This is a golden moment to finally do something, because we've been arguing about this for as long as I've been alive. When even this president and even Mitch McConnell are at least pretending to be open to reforms. We know that we have a moment on our hands. Let's make the most of it and get these things done. Okay, so Buttigieg is correct that two of the specific proposals he mentions, universal background checks and red flag laws, are areas of general agreement. 
He's on shakier ground when he talks about a majority in favor of banning the sale of new assault weapons. Again, that number is perhaps 56%, plus or minus 3.5%, at least in the data we've heard today. So, yeah, technically that is a majority, but it's a slim one at best. And his other claim that there's a majority in favor of banning high-capacity magazines, well, yes, that's true, at 60%, plus or minus 3.5%. But still, a far cry from those super obvious items like background checks and red flag laws nearing 90% support. So you may notice that I'm doing a lot of parsing of polls and numbers here, and that's partly because I think it's important to understand what the data is when the candidates are talking about data. But it's also vital to understanding this next clip. Okay, so also this past Sunday, this time on Meet the Press, Chuck Todd cited that statement by Chris Coons, plus a tweet from Pat Toomey, who is a Republican senator from Pennsylvania. Todd was looking for O'Rourke to give a response. Listen in, and Todd speaks first. And Pat Toomey tweeted the following. I agree with Chris Coons. This is an awful and extreme idea. Thankfully, there's not enough support in Congress to do it. But with this rhetoric undermines and hurts bipartisan efforts to actually make progress on common sense gun safety efforts like expanding background checks. He went on the record, Congressman. A few other Democrats have gone with blind quotes. There's a lot of hand-wringing about what you said agreeing with your sentiment, but concerned that the rhetoric is going to actually backfire. What do you say? I think this just shows you how screwed up the priorities in Washington, D.C. are. I think what's truly awful is a 17-month-old baby shot in the face with an AR-15, as happened in Odessa. What's truly awful is 22 people killed in a Walmart the Saturday before school starts that next Monday, buying their school supplies, innocent of any crime or any threat to this country. In fact, living in one of the safest cities in America, El Paso, Texas, hunted down by their ethnicity with a weapon that was designed for use on a battlefield. Talking to those doctors and trauma room surgeons who treated those victims in El Paso, they said these are wounds of war, that high impact, high velocity round, when it hit their systems, just shredded everything inside of them. I refuse to accept that. And I refuse to even acknowledge the politics or the polling or the fear or the NRA. That has purchased the complicity and silence of members of Congress. And this weak response to a real tragedy in America, 40,000 gun deaths a year. We've got to do something about it. And I'm proposing that we do something. And yeah, that clip was slightly cut off at the end. So this is a big element of the current discussion on gun safety laws within the Democratic primary. You have O'Rourke very clearly articulating not just his position, but his disinterest in whether it's popular. Then you have Buttigieg saying, let's do the things that are popular because they are possible. This is a big question in the primary. Do you support candidates who go after things they can get done, even if they're incremental, or do you support those who stick with their beliefs, even if they know those beliefs are unpopular or maybe can't get done at all? And it's a tough call. It applies to many issues. So that's where we stand today on this issue. And you better believe this will come up again in the October debate, where both of these candidates will be present. Now, whether they'll be on the same stage, we don't know yet. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, 
where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, next up, a reminder that MSNBC has a Climate Town Hall event airing on Thursday and Friday this week. It's a bit different than the CNN climate event we saw two weeks ago. In the MSNBC event, we'll see a different mix of candidates, including a Republican. So here's the list in alphabetical order. Bennett, Booker, Bullock, Buttigieg, Castro, Delaney, Ryan, Sanders, Steyer, Weld, Williamson, and Yang. The event will air on September 19th and 20th, yes, that is Thursday and Friday this week, and it starts at 3 p.m. Eastern Time each day. The physical event takes place at Georgetown University, and the moderators are both from MSNBC. They are Chris Hayes and Ali Velshi. There will be audience questions, and if this is anything like the CNN event, those questions are going to be very, very direct. Reading here from an article in Vox by Sean Collins, quote, Most of the candidates scheduled to appear have developed their own climate change plans, a number of which were released in the days ahead of the CNN debate. While Republican Bill Weld does not, he has said climate change is one of the reasons he is primarying President Donald Trump. And he told Vox's Jane Coaston he is particularly concerned with rising ocean levels. We are required to plan for a seven-foot storm surge right now in the city of Boston for any waterfront development, he said. In another few years, that's going to be 14 feet. This is going to be a lot of property that's going to be shorefront property in 2040 that's not shorefront property now. End quote. All of this is part of a week-long series on NBC News that they call Climate in Crisis. They've also created a new climate unit, which is apparently a reporting team focused on climate issues specifically. There's a bit more on that as well as the other climate-related programming this week in a press release linked in the show notes. Now, you may ask, how can we watch this climate forum, especially if we don't have cable? My personal advice is to check out the link in the show notes to an MSNBC page that is already up and has a link to stream the climate forum live. Right now, if you go play that video, it is streaming a standby signal, and I didn't have to log in, so I assume that will stay there through Thursday and Friday. However, reading from that press release, the event, quote, will be streamed in part on NBC News Now and Telemundo and featured on MSNBC programming Thursday, September 19th and Friday, September 20th. Chris Hayes will also dedicate a live hour of MSNBC's All In with Chris Hayes exclusively to climate that week. End quote. In an appearance at the Carter Center in Atlanta, former President Jimmy Carter reflected on the role of age and the presidency. His comments came after a question about whether he might consider running for president in 2020, since technically he is not term limited yet. Carter is about to turn 95, and this is what he said. Listen in. Well, I I hope, I hope it's an age limit. (laughs) You know, if I were just 80 years old, If I was 15 years younger, I don't believe I could undertake the duties that I experienced when I was president. But one thing, you had to be very flexible with your mind. You had to be able to go from one subject to another and concentrate on each one adequately. 
and then put them all together. But I'm going to vote for one of them, <laughs> and I haven't decided yet which one. Uh, I voted for Bernie Sanders last last time, and, and Logan did too. But uh, I'm going to keep an open mind. One of the major factors that I will have in my mind is who could beat Trump. In an article for the Associated Press, Bill Barrow did most of the math for us. When Trump was elected, he was the oldest first-term president in history upon his swearing-in, and he is currently 73 years old, more than two years into his presidency. By comparison, Reagan was 69 when he started his first term in 1981. Now, if elected, upon being sworn in, Sanders would be 79 years old and would turn 80 a month into his presidency. Biden would be 77 upon swearing in, and Warren would be 71. Now, Warren and Sanders both have February birthdays, so Warren would turn 72 shortly under her presidency. Of this whole group, Warren is the only one who wouldn't set a new age record, though she would still be older than Reagan at the start. While it's clear that Carter's remarks were couched in terms of his own age and whether he would be capable of doing the job, I think it's instructive to look at the field and the relative ages we have on the board here. By comparison, Reagan left the presidency at age 77, and that is the current record for the oldest person in the office at all ever. We might see that record broken under lots of scenarios. For instance, if Trump remains for a second term, he will break Reagan's record, turning 78 before the end of his second term. Both Biden and Sanders would promptly break that record within their first year. And so would Warren, eventually, assuming she served two terms. So here is some more presidential age trivia for you. Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest president ever sworn in at age 42. In the current field, there are multiple people who could beat that record, including both Buttigieg and Gabbard, who would be 38 and 40, respectively, upon inauguration. Though, Buttigieg has a late January birthday, so he could turn 39 just a few days into his first term. And last up today, a brief look at some polling. A new poll from NBC News slash The Wall Street Journal came out today and did not do a ton to move the field, especially in terms of October debate qualification. The margin of error in that poll is 4.36% in either direction. On the key question about which candidate a Democratic primary voter would support in the primary, a few things stood out. One is that Harris dropped to just 5% while she had 13% in this same poll two months ago. Another is that Biden increased to 31% from 26% two months ago, and Warren increased to 25% from 19% two months ago. All the other changes were in the one or two point range, which puts them well inside the margin of error. Now, what's the reason I mention this? Well, the polling did nothing to add qualifying results for Gabbard or Williamson, who are still looking to pick up more results by October 1st in order to reach the October DNC debate. I will keep you posted on that and should have more on Gabbard specifically and her polling status later this week. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Action Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Well, folks, it is officially sweater weather in Portland, with the outside temperature at 55 degrees as I record this. It's gray, it's rainy, there's moss on stuff that shouldn't have moss on it, like my car. It's all the great things you expect from September in the Pacific Northwest. This means the Yarden is rapidly approaching fall. Now, the big visible change there is when the leaves on the flame ash tree in the front yard turn bright red right before falling off. 
It's not quite there yet, but it's a matter of days. So best case for the next six months, a little sun to go with your sweater vest. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Thank you.